Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTF Podnet on Twitter. You can find me at Sports Fanatic MB on Twitter. Today, well, I'm just so excited I almost forgot to talk about Full Time Fantasy, so I do apologize. With FullTimeFantasy.com, you've got a ton of other great podcasts such as Jim Day of FF Champs. Adam Ronis, Dr. Roto of SiriusXM, Bob Lung of the award-winning Fantasy Football Consistency Guide, Anthony Servino of FF Faceoff, and many other others. My goodness, I can't talk, guys. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm excited. Many, many others, and you can find all of them on FullTimeFantasy.com. It is going to be everything you need for all of your Dynasty, Redraft, IDP, everything content. Check them out for all of your fantasy advice. For today's episode, it's just me, guys. I'm going solo with a guest. I've got Mr. Ray Garvin. You can find him at RayGQ on Twitter. Dude is phenomenal follow, not just for all kinds of fantasy knowledge, but Devi, college especially. The dude does his homework. He is legit at it. Has an amazing podcast called Destination Devi. Check it out. He does a great job of giving you a ton of information in a small amount of time so you can get on with your day. And I'm telling you, you will become a better fantasy player for it. I myself love listening to his podcast every time a new episode comes out because he just immensely improves the game of fantasy with his knowledge and makes me feel like a better player alone. He also is a contributor to DLF. Uh, I'm telling you guys, just do yourselves a favor and follow him. Don't 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 wait any longer. Pause the episode. Go in there. Follow him because you guys will be better fantasy players for it. And and I'm not even gonna wait any longer. I, I did an, a little a bit of a, a little college intro here just to kind of show you guys how much college football means to me and to the people who love college football. And then we're gonna get Ray on right from there. We're gonna jump right in and talk about college football. College football is back, and it has started a frenzy among its fans. But why? Why is college football so popular, and why has it started to overtake the NFL? Because college football is about more than football. It's a way of life. It transcends race, gender, whether you're rich or poor. Your community comes together on a Saturday. It brings everyone together. The feel of a win or loss is different here. These colors, they don't run. It's in our blood because it's true passion. The pageantry helps it transcend the notion of it being just another sport. The traditions are unique to each school and each team.
come alive as they support their teams. Those atmospheres like that can give anybody chills and allows their team the emotional and support that they need. The love that is shown by these fans fuels these players as they play with love and loyalty. Love is the strongest form of motivation. It takes courage. It takes loyalty to play in the college football game. Most of these players know that there is no next level. This could be the last time they're able to play football. College is all about culture. For many, it's what helps shape us into who we are destined to become away from our friends, family, and loved ones, and are invited and embrace a culture that we have not yet known in our lives. The culture is passed down through these fans who live these stories and these legends who have made those. As the 2019 season approaches, will your team compete for the playoffs or be left out in the cold? All right, so as I mentioned in the intro to there, we have Mr. Ray Garvin on. You can find him at RayGQ on Twitter, Debbie and Dynasty College expert extraordinaire. Ray, what is going on, man? Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Go ahead. Happy to be here, man. Thank you for having me on. Um, It's another hot day here as you well know, but college football is back tonight, so I'm excited, excited to talk to you and to talk some Debbie Dynasty prospects. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be, uh, I'm, I'm excited. I've got the games on in the background. I can't, unfortunately, I have a bunch of drafts this weekend, so I'm not going to get to watch as much college football, at least during the day as I was hoping, but I cannot wait for, for especially that game tomorrow night between uh, between the Ducks and the Tigers, man. That game, I'm, I've been looking forward to it for a while now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So before we we jump into this, uh, the all the Debbie and college stuff, I like to ask all my guests here um, what your favorite style of fantasy football is, and how long have you been playing fantasy football? Man, so many different styles, but for me, my favorite is definitely uh, Debbie Superflex. Now, I haven't been playing Debbie as long college fantasy football for a couple of years now but but super flex format i love the uh the the strategy that's involved when you can start multiple quarterbacks really enjoy that in the debbie dynasty aspect i mean even if you don't debbie i mean if you're just playing in traditional dynasty leagues at some point in time you're going to have to draft college players in order to to make your roster better than what it is so paying attention to what's going on in college football and finding those guys and and staking your claim on prospects early on from their true freshman season all the way through their matriculation to the NFL it's just another layer of strategy another layer of fun that dynasty owners you know get to partake in and that's why I truly, truly enjoy and love the Debbie aspect of Dynasty. Debbie Superflex, give it to me. That's what I like to roll with. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. So I just got into Debbie this year. This is my first year playing in some Debbie leagues. I'm in, I know one with you. I think I got one in another one with Garrett and then another one run by uh, Frank, DHH Frank on Twitter. Uh, so I've got three of them going this year and I'm worried I'm going to get into a bunch more and I can't really handle many more fantasy leagues. So I might have to cut back on the just the regular old PPR ones and start getting more into these Debbie ones because I've really enjoyed them. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. All right, so let's go ahead and jump in and start right with the ACC where the defending national champions are in the Clemson Tigers. They obviously went 8-0 and last year, sitting in the conference with the Syracuse Orange, NC State Wolfpack, Boston College, Florida State, Wake Forest, and the Louisville Cardinals. Obviously, I'm pretty sure that the Clemson Tigers are going to go ahead and go probably undefeated and at least make it to the national championship game or in the playoffs this year. Do you see any team in the ACC competing with Clemson and giving them a run for their money? You know, I really, really don't. I would like to say, oh, Syracuse. I would like to say, you know, North Carolina State or Florida State or any of these other teams. Um, but, But realistically, I do not. Clemson should absolutely roll through the ACC into the college football playoffs when you've got the best player possibly in college football leading your offense one of the best coaches in Davo Sweeney and all of the talented players that they have on their roster they should not lose a game yeah I I was hoping I was the same way when I was looking at it I was like man there's got to be some way but I just I don't see it either I do think they have a couple interesting matchups including next week they go up against Texas A&M that could be an interesting game. I think I know uh, Lawrence didn't start that game last year, but they ended up winning. I think it was by two points. Texas A&M failed to convert the the two point conversion there at the end, so it was a good game. But again, Trevor Lawrence didn't start, so that may change things this year. Uh, but Texas A&M is definitely not a team to overlook. So since we both think the Clemson Tigers are going to easily take the ACC, let's talk about some of the top players we have in the ACC here. And unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but four of them are on the Clemson Tigers. So we're going to start with the golden one, <laughs> Sunshine, the guy who everybody is, it feels like, tanking for for the next two years to get. Uh, and that is Trevor Lawrence. What are your thoughts on Trevor? And does he deserve the praise that he is getting in the fact that a lot of uh, scouts and NFL people think that he could literally walk onto an NFL team or on NFL field right now and take a team into the playoffs and possibly a Super Bowl? So I'm going to give you the short answer. Yes. (laughs) Yes, Trevor Lawrence. (laughs) He deserves every accolade, every superlative, every ounce of recognition and praise and excitement and exuberance that he's getting because he is that good. I don't think people understand just how difficult it is uh, to, to do what he did as a true freshman in college on the biggest stage in a power five conference to come in, not even the starter into the season, but to, to take over that team and lead them to a national championship where they just absolutely demolished Alabama. What he did, it it really cannot go understated. And it was not like he was a game manager. This kid is athletic. He can put the ball in places that, Probably nobody other than Tua Tonga-Vailoa can do at this point in college football. He's got the requisite size, and a lot of people look at quarterbacks of his stature. You know, how whatever he measures, 6'4", 6'5", they've got him at 6'6", 6'5", 6'6". He is not a statute. He has above-average athleticism. He can move in the pocket. He 
with his legs. He's, you know, he's not, you're not, you're not going to mistake him for Lamar Jackson, but the kid can move, but he is just so calm, cool, collected, and poised in the pocket. I, I, I'm telling you right now, if he does not fire at the next level, there'll just be a lot of people wrong because he, he is deserving of every stitch of praise that he's getting right now. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned Tua there when you were comparing, uh, kind of talking about Trevor Lawrence and, and what Tua can do as well. I'm interested to hear or get your thoughts on this with Trevor Lawrence. So Tua kind of got a lot of the same hype last year. He come, obviously comes into the second half of the national championship game two years ago, leads Alabama to a national championship after they pulled Jalen Hurts. Comes into last year as kind of this praise kid that, hey, man, this guy, there's no way they can get it wrong. And I don't want to say he struggled, but to a lot of people, he didn't quite live up to what we thought he was going to do after what we saw again in only a half of football. Do you think that there's any way Trevor Lawrence struggles at all this year or doesn't possibly live up to the, I would almost say, ungodly expectations that he's already kind of put on his shoulders? I think that's absolutely possible. You know, right now I think people, 5,000 yards, 50 touchdowns, and no interceptions. You know, you know, just crazy, ridiculous amounts of, of, of expectation and, you know, statistical just anomalies that he should do when – in reality, I'm just going to tell you right now, Matt, I don't really, yes, I want to see him grow. I want him to to work on some things. One of the big issues that I have with him, he, he needs to learn how to get his butt down. He took some big shots last year, you know, just a young kid running. I want him to preserve his body. Um, you know, he took tons of, uh, of chances going downfield last season. There are some things that he needs to mature and grow on from the quarterback position. But to be honest with you, there's really... I know this sounds crazy, but I really don't need to see much more from him from a quarterback position to to feel confident with not only selecting him high in a Debbie draft or high in a dynasty startup if you've got Debbie players in that startup. But to, I, 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 if he didn't take another snap for the next two years, I'm pretty sure he'd still go in the first round because he put the things that he put on tape last year were absolutely phenomenal. And I and I truly mean that. And the difference between he and Tua to me, Trevor Lawrence is a is a is a much bigger body than Tua. And I think part of Tua's struggles towards the end of last season is he was hobbled down the stretch. You know, he had that ankle was bothering him. Tua took some shots, man. Tua took some shots. And some of those defenses that he had to play against in the SEC, Trevor Lawrence isn't going to have to face that in the ACC. Who's there? Who's the toughest defense in the ACC that Trevor Lawrence is going to go up against? So while I do think there are some things that he absolutely has to improve on and will, I, I just don't see him, I'm not even going to say suffering the same fate, but going through the same thing that, that Tua did. I, I just don't see it. And they're just too talented on offense to, to really fail. Yeah, I'm, I was I was seeing if maybe I could get something out of you because I'm I'm right there with you. I just released uh, my top five college quarterbacks and Debbie prospects um, article just earlier this week. I think it was on Tuesday is when it dropped, and I struggled to do the same thing to find anything wrong with Trevor Lawrence. So I'm right there with you. Well, you mentioned that Trevor Lawrence has a bunch of weapons around him, and he has. What's considered at least a top three running back right now, uh, Debbie prospect, dynasty prospect, however you want to look at, it, and that's Travis Etienne. Tell me what your thoughts are on him. I know a lot of people are a little worried about his pass catching. Obviously, there was an article that came out a little while ago where he admitted to being a little bit uh, afraid of catching the ball at times. So what are your thoughts on him, and where does he rank for you among the Debbie uh, running backs this year? 
Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times people want to start off with what a prospect can't do instead of what they can do. And there are some things that that ETN cannot do or has not demonstrated an ability to do very well so far in his career. But what he can do is run the damn ball. And as I'm watching right now, he just ripped off a 14-yard run and looked fantastic. But he is explosive. I mean, a dynamic runner. He's probably the most explosive uh, running back in this 2020 class and maybe in Devi overall, just as far as just pure explosion when he gets the ball. He is, uh, he's not the biggest running back, but he's, he demonstrates excellent contact balance. Uh, you know, he's able to absorb those hits, stay on his feet and just explode down the field with that, with that tremendous, you know, four, four, whether it's four, four or four, three speed, uh, just very, very fast. Yes, you're absolutely right. The fact that he is not a proficiency in catching the ball is a problem. And because of that, I, I'm going to sound like a hypocrite here because the guy I have it too kind of demonstrates the same thing, but I've got him at three as far as my Debbie running backs. He's, he's behind Deandre Swift and Jonathan Taylor for me. I just find it very, very hard to invest high draft capital in a 200 pound running back that does not catch the ball, a two down runner who cannot catch the ball out of backfield. You're not going to line him up in the slot. You're not going to throw him screens out of the backfield. I just find it very, very hard to invest that in him. Now, I mean, he he kicks off his season tonight, so we'll see if he can improve upon that. But he came out and said that he gets scared trying to catch the ball. He he gets very nervous. So I'm just, it's concerning, but he is a very talented runner. Absolutely. And another talented player on Clemson is a, a top wide receiver in T. Higgins. I have him ranked in my top 10. I imagine you have him there as well. Tell me what your thoughts are on him. The Twin Towers out there, and T. Higgins sort of gets overshadowed because of the uh, freshman sensation last season and Justin Ross, but I believe T. Higgins is a fantastic wide receiver. I'm very excited about what he can do at the le- at the next level. At that size, at six foot four, you know, 200 pounds, 205 pounds. Is he Mike Williams? Is he, you know, it's easy to compare the two because they're relatively the same size. Mike may be a little heavier. But T. Higgins has fantastic jump ball ability, uh, his ball tracking skills, and he's surprisingly good after the catch. When he gets the ball in his hands, you know, those long legs, he's a big strider. He can make plays once he gets the ball in his hands. And, you know, it doesn't hurt catching passes from the best quarterback uh, in college football. But I, I am very high on T. Higgins. As am I. So you were just mentioning Justin uh, Justin Ross there. Which one would you prefer? Who do you have higher, right, or who do you think is better right now, T. Higgins or Justin Ross? This is one, Matt, where I've gone back and forth because a part of me really liked what I saw from Justin Ross as a true – to have a 1,000 yards on 40, 40 at a 46 reception, something like that, and a 1,000 yards right on the dot as a true freshman, is that's insane production. I've I've gone back and forth with these two, and I think when the dust settles and everything you know clears up, I think having Higgins on my roster and having that production, if he declares in twenty for twenty twenty, I, I I think I don't think you're losing anything having T Higgins over Justin Ross. I prefer that 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 extra year of productivity opposed to waiting for twenty twenty one for Justin Ross. So where we are today. I would take T. Higgins, but I believe in my DLF rankings, I've got Justin Ross higher. But honestly, it's a coin flip for me. It really is a coin flip. 
Gotcha. Okay, that's fair enough. Fair enough. All right, so let's move on to two running backs that I want to talk in the uh, talk about in the ACC before we move on to the Pac-12, and one of them is AJ Dillon of Boston College, six foot, two hundred fifty pounds. Uh, has had you know two decent years. Uh, I know a lot of people on this guy and the guy we'll, we'll talk about next. Uh, it seems like you're either on the side of the coin that he is a good prospect and you're excited for him and you're just not sure about the team around him, or you just think he's a bad prospect overall. So what are your thoughts on A.J. Dillon? <laughs> I think A.J. Dillon is a he is a very good running back. Running back. He can run the ball. You know, with with he's a, a talented between the tackles grinder. I, I believe that he has a role at the next level. I don't know what that role really consists of. The fact that he had zero targets, zero receptions, and zero yards as a, uh, as a pass catcher last season is very concerning. And a lot of people have said, well, did he just not get the targets? Or, you know, did he have no receptions because he just wasn't – he didn't get in the targets because he's not a good pass catcher. And I do not want to invest high ca- draft capital in a two-down grinder at best who – I do not believe he's going to run a 4-4 or 4-3. I do not believe he's going to display elite lateral agility. I'm not a fan. I'm not touching A.J. Dillon in the top two rounds. I wouldn't touch him in the first half of a third round of a Debbie draft. If he fell to the end of the third, early fourth, maybe. But I I can name right now 10 other running backs I'd take over uh, A.J. Dillon. Very nice. See, so I'm right there with you, but I do know there are a lot of people – I don't want to say that defend him because obviously he's still a very good player. He's a good college player. Uh, but just they have him as like a top 12 running back in Debbie or in college right now. And I just don't see it either. Um, and, and I honestly feel the same way about the next player as well. And that's Cam Akers out of Florida State. 5'11", 212. Um, obviously had a, a good freshman year, sophomore season, dipped a little bit. And a lot of people blame that on his offensive line and the team around him. Do you believe that is the, the issue or the the – what caused Cam Akers to struggle last year? Um, yes, I, I do believe that his offensive line, and I've said this before on other shows, I've said this, uh, I've tweeted this out, it is not hyperbole. They had the one of the worst offensive lines in college football last season, Florida State. It was that bad, which just blows my mind that a Power 5 program like Florida State can't recruit talented offensive linemen. But it was horrible, and because of that, uh, Akers wasn't afforded, you know, holes and yards to make plays early, you know, when he got the ball, and that definitely played a part in his dip of production in 2018. Comma, however, he just looked hesitant. He did not look the same as he did uh, as a true freshman, and I've asked the question, can players' confidence, can they be broken? Can things happen in a player's career that just kind of shakes their confidence and, and they, they, it takes them a while to regain it or they just never get it back? And it looked like there were times where he just didn't trust what was going on you know, around him, what was going on you know, in, in front of him, what he saw. And I, I just I hope he's not one of those guys that just has been failed by his team and by his system that it just it just breaks his confidence but i'm a little more optimistic because i do like his high school production profile i do think he's an elite athlete 
he was a quarterback in high school, you know, a running quarterback. So he's still learning the, the position. So I do have a little more confidence that he can figure it out opposed to A.J. Dillon, which I think we know what he is. Okay. Uh, where uh, where do you have Cam Akers? Uh, in, I know you like to do tier rankings. Where where do you have Cam Anchor? What, or Cam Anchor, my goodness. Cam Akers, what tier? <laughs> <laughs> where do I have Akers at? I think he's tier two. I think he's closer. I, I think he's a tier two running back for me. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I like that. All right. So is there any other hu- players that you want to touch on in the ACC or should we move on to the Pac-12? I just think that there's some young freshmen uh, basically on Clemson. Joe Nada is somebody that I am excited about. There are a couple of uh, couple of sleepers uh, in the ACC, but for the most part, you know, Miami, I like Thomas. Brevin Jordan is a stud. I think he's a future tight end one, 2021 prospect. We saw him last weekend. Nobody from Florida that I'm really excited about on the offensive side of the ball, and they're not even in the uh, the freaking ACC, but they play Miami. But Brevin Jordan is fantastic. Jeff Thomas has got juice. There's a guy named Sage Surratt. Check him out. I think he's got some talent as well. Um, but really, that's uh, – oh, Anthony McFarlane. How can we not talk about Anthony McFarlane from Maryland? It, I like Anthony McFarlane, Matt, and I don't like to do player comps because – you know, he's a redshirt sophomore, so it's so hard to comp people without having their testing time. But just watching how he runs that downhill explosive running style, yeah. he reminds me of Devonta Freeman. So if people like Freeman from the Atlanta Falcons, he really, uh, Anthony McFarlane really reminds me of him. And this season with no Ty Johnson, who's off the Detroit Lions, I think it's wheels up for Anthony McFarlane. All right. So let's start with the with the Pac-12 North here. Uh, yeah, I got the Washington Huskies, Washington Cougars, Stanford Cardinals, the Oregon Ducks, the California Bears, and the Oregon State Beavers. Out of all those teams, which team would you choose to win the Pac-12 North? <sighs> Probably have to go with uh, the Huskies, Washington Huskies. I think they have the the most complete team overall in that uh, in that division of the Pac-12. So I'd stick with Washington. All right. Well, I'm going to stick with my Oregon Ducks. I've been I've been riding Justin Herbert for a while now. I think this is finally his shot. I think the the Pac-12 really rests on his shoulders and the team that I'm picking to win the Pac-12 South, and that is the Utah Utes who play tonight. They obviously have huge playoff aspirations this year. You have them, the Arizona State Sun Devils, the Trojan, your Trojans, the USC Trojans, Arizona Wildcats, <laughs> the UCLA Bruins, and the Colorado Buffaloes, all in the Pac-12 South. Are you picking your Trojans to win the South? I I want to. I really, really want to. And and I think when we talked before, uh, I told you I was sticking with USC. But I'm going to pivot because Utah's defense is insane. They have a crazy defense, and they still have a very talented offense. You know, they've got Zach Moss in the backfield. So I'm going to pivot and go against my gut. I've got to be objective here. And I'm going to (laughs) say Utah wins the Pac-12 South. Yeah, and so obviously probably by the time most of you listen to this, Utah will have already played. They're playing BYU tonight going to be a great game I think the holy war a rivalry game week one of the college football season that cannot be easy but if Utah can get past this I like their chances for the rest of the season so some of the top prospects oh my bad I gotta we gotta pick a champion here so if if you've got (laughs) the Huskies and the Utes going in there and I've got Oregon and the Utes who are you picking to come out of the Pac-12 I'm going with Kyle Whittingham uh Kyle what is his name Kyle Whittingham the coach yeah Utah Utes. 
All right. See, that's a, a lot of people are picking them. I'm still sticking with Oregon. Now, I might be 100% wrong on this. I just I like Oregon this year, and I, I'm, I'm going to ride my guy, Justin Herbert. And speaking of Herbert, let's start with him. He's he's my favorite quarter, one of my favorite quarterbacks. I think he's getting underrated based on what he uh, did in the second half of last season. What are your thoughts on Justin Herbert coming into this year? And Matt, I, I don't mean to to stop the Herbert shine, but you want to hear something pretty doggone cool that just happened? Yeah, hit me with it. Travis Etienne just ripped off a 90-yard touchdown oh, run. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, guys, hey. 90, 90 freaking yards, man. Newsflash, he doesn't need to catch the ball to be good. <laughs> okay, but Justin Herbert, I'm with you. I, I do think that he's being – a little underrated because of the, his dip in production last season. He's got all the tools as well. We talked about Trevor Lawrence. This guy is just as big. He is probably more athletic. He's got that speed. He was really, really good the year before last, and he wasn't bad last year. I mean, his completion percentage took a dip, but I do think that you know this season coming back for a senior was the right move. You know, a lot of people said that. You know, he got bad. I, I think he got really good advice. I think he got really good advice to to refine some things, to work on his skill set. In coming back this year, I expect a very, very dominant Justin Herbert. I think he's going to put on a show um, in the next couple of days versus Auburn. And I'm really excited to see him because I do think he has legitimate potential at the next level. It's it's hard to ignore the Oregon Duck quarterbacks of the past, Jeremiah Masoli, uh, uh, Dennis Dixon, what Marcus Mariota is doing right now. And, and, and it's hard to sometimes separate scouting the player from scouting the helmet, and that's exactly what you have to do. You can't lump Herbert into that group of quarterbacks, but it you know it, for some people it's hard to separate the two. But I am still relatively high on Justin Herbert as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I had him as my number two right behind Trevor Lawrence. I had him over Tua. I know a lot of people didn't necessarily like that, but I'm just I'm in love with this kid, man. Like, I, from what I've seen from him on his good times, he's just he looks like an amazing prospect. And and you can't take away what happened in the second half there. He really did struggle, and he does have a little bit of an injury history as well. That does worry me. I would really love to see him play a full season this year, and I do, as I've stated many times already here, I think if he does, they're going to win the Pac-12 North and possibly make the playoffs for the first time since uh, they got their asses beat down here in Arlington uh, by my Buckeyes. So I'm excited, though, for, for him in this season. I want to talk about LaVisca Chenault of Colorado. He is an exciting wide receiver that can do it all, but is considered very raw. Where does he fall for you in your tiers of wide receivers, and what are your thoughts on him this season? Yeah, he's a tier one wide receiver prospect. I mean, at his size, six foot two, 220-pound tank when he gets the ball, he is probably one of the most dynamic and versatile prospects in college football and that includes Rondell Moore that includes Jalen Rager that includes you know all of those other versatile athletes this guy at with his size with his speed with his his physicality the way that he plays the game I really see him being like a a bit a faster version of Anquan Bolden that's who he that's who his game reminds me of the problem is that he is just so physical and there are 
highlight tapes of him on YouTube. And, you know, the highlight tapes, they show nothing but the good stuff. Right. Where he's walking off for the field. Like, they're kind of showing his profile. He's walking off the field. And he just looks absolutely beat down. You know, when he's catching the ball 11 times, he's running the ball five times, he's, he's playing quarterback. He's susceptible to a lot of hits and a lot of punishment. And in scouting him... I didn't see a lot of times where he caught a 15 yard out and just kind of went out of bounds or, you know, a slant slant route and he gets down. I mean, he's taken a hit every single play and the injury history from his foot, torn labrum, not finishing the season last year, not participating in spring ball or some of fall camp this year. It's concerning. It's concerning because he had no production as a freshman. He didn't finish the season as a sophomore. I want to see Visca stay healthy, but if he does, he's going to be a game changer at the next level. He's a tier one wide receiver prospect for me. All right, what about your thoughts on Eno Benjamin here? So he, I feel like, is a lot like LaVisca Chenault in the workload that he gets. The coaches have already come out and said they wouldn't be afraid to hand him the ball 300 times this year. Obviously, a lot of people, when you're looking at that from a dynasty perspective, don't want your running back to come into the NFL with that big a workload on his legs. However, to me, he seems like he's easily a top five running back prospect this year and a guy who belongs up in that tier one. What are your thoughts on Eno Benjamin? You know, Benjamin's a tier one running back, and the reason why, not only has he shown an ability to handle the workload out of the backfield, 300 t- carries last year, he had over 30 receptions, which is phenomenal. The fact that he can catch the ball, he's proficient in that area of the game, that's what we want in Dynasty. We want a running back that's going to stay on the field, all three downs, and there are some people who question, oh, he doesn't have, you know, he's not the biggest running back. He's the same size as Travis Etienne. The same size. Now, is he? does he have the speed of ETN? No, he does not. But he does have very good lateral agility. He's a physical runner. He's a very balanced runner. And that's what I like about Eno. He shows very good balance. He's tough. He does have good lateral quickness. So that sort of makes up for that straight line, long distance speed. But 30 plus receptions as a true sophomore, fantastic production in this season He's going to have even more of an opportunity, and I hope, for his sake, he's gone after this year. Now, true freshman quarterback Jaden Daniels is going to help him out a lot because he's a dual-threat quarterback, so they're not going to just be able to key in on Eno, but I am excited about Eno Benjamin. He's a Tier 1 running back prospect for me. The fact that he can catch the ball and run the ball only helps elevate his prospectus at the next level. All right, so moving on to the Stanford Cardinals and KJ Costello. I know, um, I, I feel like he's a very polarizing prospect as well. He's a guy that I like. Uh, I had him ranked as my number six quarterback this year. I think he's got all the tools uh, to be a NFL uh, NFL quarterback. He's got the size, arm strength, leadership, intelligence. I love the ability that he's shown. Uh, on the field, seems willing to test man coverages, shows good velocity on the balls in short and deep windows. I- I'm a big fan of Costello. I think he could take a big step forward this year in improving his draft stock, where I think all these guys are really kind of set behind, probably in the order of Tua Herbert right now, but all these guys could easily improve their stock and possibly, I think Costello could easily be the third quarterback drafted this year. Uh, even ahead of Fromm with some of the questions we have on Fromm. So what are your thoughts on Costello? 
See, and I have not scouted him extensively. The things that I have seen and read about him is I've seen people say that, and let me frame this very carefully, he is not this player. But I've seen people say he's got just as good, if not better, arm strength than Andrew Luck had at Stanford. Now, he is not Andrew Luck, but he can make the throws. He can. People forget those plays that J.J. Arcega-Whiteside was making last season, it was K.J. Costello throwing him the ball, giving him those opportunities, placing the ball in the areas where only J.J. can go get it. But he does have the requisite arm strength. He's got the size. You know, I'd like him to cut down on some of the silly uh, silly mistakes he made last season, throwing the ball in a triple coverage. I was watching a game the other day, and he just there are some boneheaded plays there. But, you know, playing in that Stanford Cardinal offense, which is a pro-style offense, is good for him as well. I like Costello. I'm not, like, overly sold on him, but I'm not just completely down on him. I can definitely see him, especially if you play in those super flex leagues, him coming in the NFL, you know, being a backup for a couple of years and then finally getting that opportunity to start and, and showing some people what he has. All right, the next running back prospect is a guy I love. I, I got him in a bunch of my Debbie drafts this year. He was consistently dropping. Uh, it was actually a guy in, in the one that you're a commissioner of. I was trying very hard to trade back into the fourth round so I could draft him because I was surprised he was still on the board, and that is Jamar Jefferson of Oregon State. I mean, this came in last year as a true freshman, obviously got the job due to injury, 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns, 25 catches for 147 yards. I love his contact balance, consistently breaking arm tackles, got breakaway speed, one of my favorite guys. Now, obviously, not a not a prospect or NFL prospect till 2021, but I'm excited to see him this year. Interested to see what your thoughts are on him and then obviously the fact that he's possibly going to be sharing a backfield in Oregon State. So what are your thoughts on him? Big big Jamar Jefferson fan. I mean, he was ninth in the country in rushing yards last year, and he wasn't even supposed to start the season going, you know, going into the 2018 college football year. He wasn't even supposed to be the starter. He was not a highly rated recruit out of high school. I believe Oregon State was like his only power five offer that he had. But at five foot ten, he's over two hundred pounds. He He's really, really good, and a lot of people have not seen him play or they don't know the name, A, because Oregon State is not good, and B, those Pac-12 games come on so freaking late at night, no one's staying up to watch Oregon State battle uh, the rainbows of Hawaii. Nobody's watching that, but Jamar Jefferson has put what he can do on film, and it's time for him to get some respect. When we're talking about those 2021 running backs, you hear about Keontae Ingram and Zamir White. You need to have Jamar Jefferson up there because he looks like an NFL running back. I think he fits that mold. He's shown uh, an ability to, to catch the ball. I'm a fan. All right, and staying on running backs, and I want to get your opinion on this guy. I have not had a chance to scout him that much, but I know a lot of people are in love with him. You mentioned him earlier, and that's Zach Moss. What, what are your thoughts on Zach Moss, and how highly do you have him ranked? Yeah, um, I'm... I feel a lot of the same things that I said about A.J. Dillon, that kind of two-down grinder. Uh That's how I feel about Zach Moss. I'm not – I think he's a fantastic college running back. I really, really do. I think he's a fantastic college running back. I think he will have 
um, you know, uh, uh, make an impact in some degree on an NFL roster. I think he'll make good plays in the, at the next level. But for what we are looking for, Debbie, Dynasty, Fantasy Points, I'm just not seeing um, an, a fantasy impact player in Zach Moss. Again, I do not like to invest in two-down grinders unless they have some special, unique skill that you know, Travis Etienne, we talk about him not catching the ball. Well, the difference is he runs a 4 three forty, yeah. and he doesn't have uh, injury history with torn ACLs and ankle injuries and things of that nature. Zach Moss, I am not as high on him as others. I believe I have him. He's either Tier 3 or Tier 4 running back prospect for me. Not really interested in investing in him, but I do think he has a role. I do think he will have a place at the next level, and there, there are some – People like Zach Moss, let's just say, for instance, you know, let's hope this doesn't happen because I've got Christian McCaffrey on one of my stronger rosters. But say McCaffrey was out for a week and Zach Moss was his backup and Moss had to start a week in the NFL. I think he can give you a RB2, RB1 week. You know what I mean? Yeah. Potentially for a game or two. But for throughout the season, I'm just I'm not looking to invest anything in uh, Zach Moss. All right, and then we're going to jump on to your Trojans here. So I know that Amon Ross St. Brown, I'm hoping I said that right, um, is Equinemius St. Brown's younger brother. He's considered to be the best prospect out of that whole family. If you, if you haven't seen this family, by the way, dude, their dad is a, a weightlifter, I believe, or some kind of bodybuilder. He is jacked. His mom was a track star. They're extremely smart. I believe they all speak like five different languages. And this kid is believed to be extremely legit he's my last guy that i have to do uh some watch some tape on before i do my my wide receiver article that i'm working on right now for the dynasty nerd so he's another guy that i don't know i know him and i know a little bit about him but i can't speak necessarily on his game but i know since you are such a big trojans fan you've got to know who this kid is and i'm sure you know all about him so let drop some knowledge on me let me know how good this kid is going to be in a couple years yeah, Amon Ross St. Brown is a stud. And the thing that I can, you know, if I had to use one word to describe him, he's a tactician. And his brother playing for the Green Bay Packers. He's got another brother, Osiris St. Brown, who plays for the Stanford Cardinals. Amon Ra is the best of the St. Brown brothers. And on that special, I believe it was on HBO, you know, they were asking the three brothers, who's the best? And Amon Ra was like, you know, uh, Equinemia St. Brown was like, oh, it's me. And then Osiris St. Brown was like, oh, I'm the best. And then Amon Ra with a straight face was like, I'm I'm the best. Like, I'm better than all these guys. And they were kind of like, yeah, he, he really is. He's, he's that good. But he is a tactician. He's got the size. He is not a blazer, but he's not slow by any stretch. He's tough as hell. This kid took a devastating blow. I think it was in the Texas game and just kind of popped back up. He can go get the ball on deep balls. You can throw him flare routes, screens, and he can make things happen after the catch. But what just separates him is his refinement as a route runner at such a young age. Now, part of that is when if I had an older brother who played in the NFL and I was a wide receiver, you probably have access to some of the best trainers and, and things of that nature. But just because you have access to it doesn't mean it translates on the field. And it translated on the field. He was a high High five-star recruit coming out of high school. I mean, to put up the numbers that he did as a true freshman in the Pac-12 at the wide receiver position, phenomenal. I am a big 
Amon Ra St. Brown fan. I think he is destined to be a first-round pick here in the next couple of years. And if I'm a dynasty owner, if I'm playing in Debbie, he's somebody that I'd be more than comfortable taking in the second round of a, a, a Debbie startup. Very nice. Yeah, so right now, as I'm, I'm working on that article, I have him as my number 10 ranked wide receiver in, in Debbie right now. I haven't been, I haven't found anybody to move him out of that yet. I'm, I'm excited to see where I eventually land with him as, as I'll be finishing that up here later this week. So the independent schools, the only one that's really interesting is obviously Notre Dame. They've had a pretty good run of success here the past couple of years. There's only two prospects I think that are worth talking about, although I don't know if either one of them has any real shot in the NFL or, or much Debbie uh, prospect this year, but I'm going to go ahead and ask you about him real quick just to get your thoughts, and that's their quarterback, Ian Book, and then I think they're who's going to end up being their lead wide receiver this year in Chase Claypool. Yeah, <laughs> um, not really interested in Ian Book whatsoever. I think he had gotten me excited for a little bit at one part of the season last year, and it flamed, It didn't even fizzle out. It just went out completely, and he just looked completely overmatched versus Clemson. I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm not an Ian Book fan. Chase Claypool's got that size. I love how big he is. I do believe he's a, a talented athlete. You know, he's somebody I, I, I believe you can get without even having to draft. You know, he, he may be one of those guys where, in your traditional dynasty leagues, if you're doing a three or four round. Uh, rookie draft, you may be able to catch him off of waivers when your first round of waivers run after your uh, draft is complete. So not really looking towards any of those guys. I think they have a tight end. I can't think of his name. Cole, Cole something, but they've got a tight end in Notre Dame. Cole, uh, historically is commit, right? Something like that. It's, it's got yeah, a weird yeah, last yeah, name. Yeah, that's him. That's him. Uh, intrigued by him. I think he's hurt right now. I don't know if he's going to play uh, in Notre Dame's first game, but you know, intrigued by Notre Dame tight end for sure. They've done a good job of developing those yeah. throughout their uh, throughout their career. But Ian Book, Chase Claypool, Ian Book, no Claypool, intrigued later on. Gotcha. All right, now let's move on. We've got three conferences left, and I think all three of these are extremely interesting based on the depth of the teams in there. So we'll start with the Big Twelve. Obviously, Oklahoma winning it last year. You got Texas. Well, a lot of people are high on. You got Iowa State, West Virginia, TCU with one of the best wide receivers in the league, Baylor Bears, Kansas State, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, and the Kansas Jayhawks. I'm pretty sure, I'm assuming you're going to pick with who you picked last time on, on who you think is going to win the Big 12. <laughs> Texas Longhorns, and I'm not even a Longhorns fan, but hook them. I know, man, so I'm not going to lie. You've won me over. Our last conversation we had on this, I had Oklahoma. I'm going to go with Texas. I've kind of gotten on this train. I know. I know. It hurts me to say that, too, because I know so many UT fans. I'm going to get so much crap for saying that. But I just, I'm really kind of coming around to their team. Obviously, I've been a big Colin Johnson fan. I I like Sam Ellinger. I think he's going to be good as well. I really think Texas, and we'll talk about it when we get to the end of the episode. I might end up squeaking Texas into the playoffs too. Like I'm, I'm big on Texas this year. I'm really liking them. So let's start talking about some of their top players, and I'm going to start right there with Sam Ellinger. What are your thoughts on him and Colin Johnson for this Texas team? Well, let me tell you something. If we're picking Texas to win the Big Twelve, I'm telling you right now, if Texas wins the Big Twelve, 
they're going to the college football playoffs. I, I just don't see how the committee would leave out a a the Big 12 champ. I just don't see that happening. So if they win the Big 12, they're going to be in the college football playoffs. If they win the Big 12, and I'm going to give you a little something that you, you didn't even ask for this, but I'm, I'm going to give you a little something here. If they win the Big 12, if they're in the college football playoffs, Sam Elder's probably going to push for that Heisman Trophy. Okay. He is my... If I was a betting man, which I am, I'm from Las Vegas, so of course I'm a betting man. Um, Sam Ellinger wins the Heisman Trophy in 2019, and a big reason for that is I believe his development and the offensive talent around him. You talked about Colin Johnson, the six foot six monster out there. There are some people who are really, really high on Colin Johnson, and there are some people who are sort of just sort of in the middle with him. You know, Lil Jordan Humphrey was the guy last year. That was the thousand yard receiver. He's gone. So in steps Colin Johnson as that number one target. I see him sort of as a less athletic Hakeem Butler. And we saw what happened to Hakeem Butler uh, throughout the pre-draft process this past season. Yeah. So that what I really like about Texas is Ellinger can run the ball. He can throw the ball. I, I want no part of Sam Ellinger in Dynasty. I'm not drafting him in Debbie, but for college, he's a hell of a college quarterback. But let's not ignore what they have in the backfield, and that is Keontae Ingram and Jordan Whittington. Two guys, who I'm telling you right now, Matt, both of them will be first-round uh, first round picks in Dynasty rookie drafts. Uh, Keontae Ingram in 2021, Jordan Whittington in 2022. Both of these guys are extremely, extremely talented running backs. And I'm very excited to watch them play football this year. Yeah, so you beat me to the punch on that. Ingram was going to be my next, uh, my next guy. So what was he? Uh, six foot two, twenty seven hundred eight rushing yards last year, one hundred forty two attempts, twenty seven receptions with two touchdowns, one hundred seventy yards. Great year for him. I'm excited to see what they're going to do again. I love Tom Herman. I, I thought when when Texas hired him a couple years ago after being a the offensive coordinator taking uh, the Buckeyes to a national championship. I said it was a great hire. It really looks like he's finally got his guys in there and is turning this program around. Uh, before we move on to some Oklahoma Sooners prospects, I want to ask you one more thing about Colin Johnson. You were talking about how you, you kind of see him like Hakeem Butler. Do you see Colin Johnson as raw as some saw Hakeem Butler, or do you think he's a more polished prospect at wide receiver than him? I do think he's a, I think he's a more polished prospect. I do. I, I can't, I can't sit up here and say that Hakeem Butler had that one year of production, whereas Colin Johnson is, he's been, he hasn't had a breakout campaign yet, but he's improved every year that he's been in college. He's gotten better. He's gotten better. So I definitely think he's a more refined wide receiver. I just don't, be, I don't believe, and I'm, I, I hope I'm wrong. I don't believe he's the athlete that Butler is. Mm-hmm. And I'm just fearful of these big giant receivers, you know, six foot six, six foot five. Unless you're Calvin Johnson, who ran a four three five at the combine that jumped 40 something inch vertical jump, unless you're that elite of an athlete, I'm just concerned that the NFL is is kind of going away from those guys. All right, so for Oklahoma, and and here is part of the reason why I had picked them to win the first time we talked, and that is because they are loaded as well on offense. So CeeDee Lamb, a wide receiver who I think is phenomenal and and deserves to be right up there in the conversation for the top three uh, coming out this year. you got Trey Sermon at running back, Kennedy Brooks. you got Jalen Hurts, I think, is the 
biggest question mark for them, and we'll get to him last. So what is what are your thoughts on these three key guys here, wide receiver and, and the two running back studs? Yeah, CeeDee Lamb is my guy. If, if you follow me on Twitter, if you listen to any of my stuff, if you read any of my work, CeeDee Lamb, I believe that he has the skill set and the opportunity this year to really push to be wide receiver one on some people's boards. Uh, he has that skill set. He's got the best body control, I believe, in this draft class. He, he doesn't have you know elite speed, but he's more than fast enough. They use him in the punt return game last season. And the catches that this guy can make, uh, he's got like a sticky, sticky stuff on his hands. I mean, he just can make ridiculous catches. He's got amazing focus and concentration. I am a huge C.D. Lamb fan. I think he's going to be a stud at the next level. There are people out there who have comped him to DeAndre Hopkins. I would not dare do that right now (laughs) and comp him to the best wide receiver in the NFL. But he is a... he looks like an alpha wideout. Now, when we're talking about the running backs, Trey Sermon, Kennedy Brooks, I like Brooks a lot more. I think Brooks is a more explosive player than Trey Sermon. I don't hate Sermon. He just seems like somebody that does everything kind of like good, but nothing just exceptionally well. He has shown a, a good prowess in the receiving game. The problem is just the touches in the backfield. You got Brooks, you got Sermon, but they also signed the number one ranked junior college running back in Ramondre Stevenson, six foot, 235 pound wrecking ball. And then they've got TJ Pledger back there as well, who was also a very talented runner. So I'm just, that's going to be one of the more interesting dynamics uh, outside of Jalen Hurts, of course, of watching what they do in the backfield with Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon, who were both named as co starters. So. You know, I, I think Oklahoma liked what they saw. Kenny Brooks led the team in rushing last year. You know, he he was he was the guy, or it may have been Kyler Murray, but Kenny Brooks <laughs> was the leading running back. But uh, I like Brooks a little bit more than I like Trey Sermon. Okay, yeah, I'm right there with you on Brooks. So a thousand fifty six yards last year for Brooks uh, and Sermon, just nine hundred and forty seven with um, almost almost. Uh, 50 more carries as well for Sermon, so not quite as good on the on the averages as well there for his rushing yards. You mentioned Jalen Hurts, so he's an intriguing prospect for me because something that I didn't really notice last year because I did not watch a lot of uh, Alabama games. I mean, in all honesty, even if you did, you mostly were watching Tua. There was a lot of talk that they were actually, the reason they allowed uh, Hurts to come in at the end of games was not just because they were blowing teams out and wanted to get to some rest, was because they were allowing Jalen Hurts to continue to work on his throwing motions and become a better passer. He is now coming over to Oklahoma with a highly touted offense. Lincoln Riley is, I mean, right now you could almost consider uh, a quarterback guru with the fact that he's had two quarterbacks win the Heisman. Now, again, I don't want to compare Jalen Hurts to Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield because I don't think he's on their level. But what are your thoughts overall about Jalen Hurts and the fact that he has struggled at times to throw the ball? Do you think that that could hurt CeeDee Lamb's value, at least for this year? I don't think it affects him going to the NFL level, but for the 2019 college season, do you think it affects Lamb? This is what I think. So I do believe that Lincoln Riley is going to work wonders for Jalen Hurts. I I think that we're going to, by the time the college football season ends, There'll be some out there singing, hmm, 
can this guy be an NFL quarterback? I think that will happen. I do think he's going to get drafted. I do think he's going to find his way on a roster. I do not believe he's going to be a starter or anything like that as a rookie, but I do think we're going to see some strides for Hertz after, uh, you know, going towards the next level. Now, will his, his play hurt CeeDee Lamb this season? Absolutely. CeeDee Lamb got to play back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners, back-to-back first picks in the NFL draft, and two of the most prolific and efficient passers in college football history. Absolutely, it's going to hurt CeeDee Lamb. But I think what happens, what will happen is CeeDee Lamb didn't even have 100 targets last year. So although his efficiency is going to dip this season, I think the volume is going to increase They do not have Marquise Hollywood-Brown. There is no proven number two wide receiver. For me, in my money, the wide receiver two is tight end Grant Calcaterra. So where CeeDee Lamb is going to lack in efficiency, I believe he will make up in volume. And I really think his numbers are going to be just as good, if not better, than what he did last year, just based on sheer passing volume alone. He's going to see over 120 targets this season. All right, so now I want to talk about... um... We're going to go to Denzel Mims. I'm going to save the best wide receiver for last so that I can let you just just continue and talk about him for as long as you want. So we'll save him for last. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Denzel Mims? There's some people that uh, think that, obviously, a, a raw wide receiver prospect, but someone that shows a lot of potential. And I'm going to go back to something you said earlier to scout the player and not the helmet. But the fact that he's coming from Baylor, I'm not going to lie, it worries me a little bit because we have just not seen these guys work out at the NFL level. Do you have any thoughts on Mims? Yeah, I think Mims is a, an explosive, talented wide receiver. I do not think that he has that refinement in his game. This season is going to tell a lot because Baylor's going to be pretty decent, at, you know, at least on the offensive side of the ball. So I think Mims has a lot of potential to show that he can be an NFL wide receiver, he's got the size, he has the speed, he has the athleticism, and God, man, it is, you know, I'm being a hypocrite because it is so hard to scout, you know, to separate the helmet from the yeah. player, but man, when you just go down the line from Terrence Williams to Corey Coleman, I mean, Josh Gordon, that guy's pretty good, I mean, he's got some off-the-field issues, but it's just so freaking hard with that Baylor system and how they play to really separate it, but I like, I like Mims, don't love him yet, no stamp of approval at this point in time, but I'm also not discarding him, let's just see how the season plays out, but he's definitely somebody that should be on our radars. Alright, this next guy, 6'1", 207 pounds, played running back last year for the for Oklahoma State, shared a backfield with Justice Hill, 124 attempts for 740 yards, 7 touchdowns. 22 catches for 229 yards and two touchdowns. Your guy, if anybody follows you on Twitter, they know you love Chuba Hubbard. Why should we be watching Chuba Hubbard this year in Oklahoma State? Because Chuba Hubbard is a baller. That's why you should be watching him. (laughs) And Chuba Hubbard is going to be starting running back in the NFL, whether he comes out this year as a redshirt sophomore or if he's and uh, enters that draft as a redshirt junior. But this guy coming out of high school was a, a highly rated running back recruit out of Canada. And he was actually a national champion sprinter in the 100-meter dash, verified 10-5 meter dash. For those of you who don't know, that is flying. Six foot one. I think he's listed at 207, but I read somewhere that he, he checked in this fall at 210. So 6'1", 210, speedster, speedster who 
can run between the tackles. And what I love most about his game is not only did he catch passes out of the backfield, they used him as a kick returner. And so many people love Justice Hill, the Baltimore Ravens. They, you know, they they think that he could potentially usurp Mark Ingram. And Justice Hill was a bona fide stud at Oklahoma State. But if you go back and look at Hill's numbers, I believe his sophomore season, he rushed for like 1,400 yards. And then his junior season, the, the, the year before he declared, the year that he declared, he didn't even crack 1,000 rushing yards. Now, part of that was he dealt with some injuries, but another part of that was Chuba Hubbard. The fact that he showed an ability to run people over, lateral agility to run around folks, that, that receiving acumen out of the backfield – Chuba Hubbard is a TDT, a TDT, a three-down threat, and that's what he's going to be at the next level, and that's what I love. When I'm looking at and scouting running backs in college, I want to see somebody who has shown an ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. You don't have to catch uh, Booby Williams from Washington State amount of passes and, and catch 60, 70 balls, but just show me that you're capable of doing it and at his size with his athleticism that speed and that receiving acumen, I am I am loving me some Chuba Hubbard. All right, so now the best for last, the best player in, in the Big 12, more than likely, I think at least, and that is Jalen Rager of TCU, wide receiver who I think could easily be in the discussion with Jerry Judy as the best wide receiver in college football right now, and Rondell Moore. I should not forget Rondell Moore. Um, what are your thoughts on Rager? I know you love this kid, so just tell us why he is good and why he is going to be a top NFL pick and dynasty pick come next year's rookie drafts. All right. So all the people out there listening to this show, if you haven't tuned out by, by now, if you're, if you're not sick of me by now, <laughs> I want you to pause this podcast. Pause it right now. Type in Jalen Rager on YouTube. Just watch three, four minutes of highlights, and then come back to the show. Because that guy that you just watched, that guy that you just saw is somebody that I think has has legitimate, and I haven't said this about any prospect on this show yet, all pro potential at the next level. He's that talented, he's that versatile, and he's got that dog in him. And you can't measure that. Analytics can't measure that. You know, There's no testing numbers that can measure that. But when you watch him play, he just doesn't give a damn. That dude is just nasty. He's physical. He's got swag, but he's just skilled. He's a talented, talented wide receiver that's still learning the game. That he can still improve on his route running. He can can you know one of my knocks on him is focus drops. There are times in games where he just kind of just lost focus. He he's ready to make a move and drops a pass. But the things that he can do well. When you get the ball in his hands, he is absolutely dynamite, whether that's in the receiving game, out of the backfield, on jet sweeps. Jalen Rager is a dynamic athlete. He's been timed, you know, reports say at a 4-3-240, which is ridiculous. I, if whatever hand times I get, I always add 0.05 seconds to that. So even if that averages out to a 4-3-7, that is elite speed. He was a, in high school, let me tell you something, in high school, he long jumped 26 feet, which at the time was the longest jump in the country, in the United States of America. He jumped farther than every single person out there. And why is that important? Because that shows explosiveness. He is an explosive, explosive, just animal out there. Five foot 11, 195 pounds. And he did it on an offense where no quarterback 
completed, I believe, over 61% of their passes. It was just an absolute mess offensively at TCU. He still commanded a 40%, higher than a 40% dominator rating. If they were throwing the ball, it was going to Jalen Rager. Everyone knew it was going to Jalen Rager, and they could not do a dang on thing to stop it. This guy, to me, reminds me of a more explosive Percy Harvin. Now, before you turn your nose up at that comparison, I want you to go look at the season that Percy Harvin had a legitimate quarterback, and that was like 50-year-old Brett Favre, his legitimate quarterback, and how freaking good Percy Harvin was that season for Minnesota. He had Donovan McNabb and Joe Webb and Christian Ponder throwing him the ball. But when I watch Rager's game, I see a more explosive, more refined Percy Harvin. Yeah, I mean, I I love this kid, man. I, 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 I know when we talked about the first time, I was very honest about the fact that I didn't know much about him before last year. And going into his freshman year, he had, you know, 33 catches, 576 yards, but I honestly had not seen much about him. And then I was at the game last year when Ohio State came into town and played TCU. And seeing that kid in person was just eye-opening. It was like seeing football Jesus out there on the field. It was ridiculous. So once I saw that, I started looking at him, paying much more attention to him. And, and he's been right there. He said, I haven't I haven't released my, my wide receiver articles yet. I'm still working on it. But I would not be surprised if he ends up as my one over Jerry Judy. I'm not trying to, to be hot takey and be like, oh, hey, you know, trying to get attention. But I just like Jalen Rager that much as well. The kid is phenomenal. And I cannot wait to see what he does this year. But more importantly, I can't wait to see him get into the NFL and hopefully paired with a comparable quarterback because – he has not gotten that at TCU, and I don't honestly think he's going to get that this year either. So seeing him go into the NFL and possibly get put on a team with a decent quarterback, I think he's going to be able to light it up. Matt, you know, real, real quick, and yeah. you, you touched on something really, really – people need to understand that I, I personally believe that – think about it, Matt. The team that we see – each and every freaking Saturday, regardless if we want to or not, is Alabama. Yeah. They're playing on CBS every Saturday. They've got the ABC game. They've got the ESPN night games. So we get to see Jerry Judy more than we see any other wide receiver in the country. Any other wide receiver. And it is not a knock to Jerry Judy. I think Jerry Judy is a fantastic wide receiver pro- pro- uh, prospect. But... I think people are so prisoner of the moment that they can't even see how talented a CeeDee Lamb or Jalen Rager are because you don't watch TCU play. I I venture to say majority of people outside of Debbie scouts and analysts, they have not watched one single half of a TCU Horned Frogs game, but they'll sit there and watch Alabama versus LSU. So it's so easy to just lock on to Jerry Judy. And I think people need to expand and open their thought process, open their mind up to the possibility that Jerry Judy may not be the best wide receiver in this class. He very well may be, but he just may not be. And what I tell people is throughout the summer, what the summer allowed me to do was to scout people that I didn't get a chance to really pay attention to. And it's not that I've moved Jerry Judy down. It's that I've elevated some of the guys under him. And like you said, by the end of the season, there's a very real possibility that Jalen Rager or CeeDee Lamb or maybe a Tyler Johnson move themselves over Jerry Judy. So that's just a, a good point that you made. 
Oh, I like the Tyler Johnson talk, too, because that segues us right into the Big Ten, the best conference in all of college football because it has the best damn band in the land there and the best team in all of college football, and that is the Ohio State Buckeyes in the Big Ten East. You also have that team up north, the Penn State Nittany Lions, Michigan State, the Maryland Terrapins, Indiana, and Rutgers. This is an interesting one here, and, and I'd, hate to cut, I'd hate to cut this podcast short, but I need to know who you're picking to win the Big Ten East. Well, first of all, I apologize to everybody out there because I'm supposed to be a Debbie guy, and I talked about Maryland in the freaking uh, ACC oh, section. Right. I don't know, I don't know what the hell I was thinking <laughs> about, but I mean, it's so it's Ohio State, man. Let's let's just cut the chase. It's Ohio State. All right, I'm glad that you said that because I'm I'm not gonna lie. As an Ohio State fan, I am terrified of Michigan, and I hate to admit that publicly, <laughs> but I do think they have a legitimate shot this year at Ohio State, and. My biggest thing is when everybody says that it's going to be Michigan, I still say, man, Ohio State's been king of the mountain for quite a long time, and someone's going to have to knock them off before I believe it. A lot of people think that's my homerism coming out, but I'm not going to lie. I watch this team every Saturday, and and that's one of the reasons why I go back. Like you were talking about going back in the summertime, that's exactly why I do it as well because when 12 o'clock rolls around on on Saturdays, I'm watching Ohio State. I, I, I try to flip around. I've got four TVs here in my living room. I'm not even joking. I have four TVs. I'll put up four different games, but I'm focused on Ohio State because that's my team. It's a team I bleed for. It's a team I love. So I do miss out on some of those guys, and, and I do think Ohio State is loaded with talent. In the Big Ten West, and this one is going to be interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm Interested to hear who you picked to win the Big Ten West. So you got the Northwestern Wildcats who won it last year, the Wisconsin Badgers, the Purdue Boilermakers, Iowa Hawkeyes, and the Nebraska Horn Cornhuskers, Minnesota, and Illinois. Who do you have winning the Big Ten West? All right. I really want to just say Northwestern. You know, 8-1 and one last year. They won the Big Ten West last year. But I'm going to say Scott Frost turns it around and the Nebraska Cornhuskers with Adrian Martinez pull it off. Okay, so I love that pick. I don't know if uh, if you saw my tweet. It was probably a couple weeks ago. I was scrolling through. uh, I know you follow them as well because I've seen you tweet some of their stuff out. But uh, PFF College, uh, they tweeted out a thing that Adrian Martinez is one of the – he's like the fifth – uh, in the odds to win the Heisman, and I don't think enough people are talking about him, and he is a phenomenal quarterback prospect, but I'm taking Iowa, and I really like this team. I'm big on Nate Stanley, which I know a lot of people aren't, but I like this defense as well. I think Iowa could really surprise some people, but Nebraska would have been my second pick, so I'm glad you picked him, so at least one of us is hopefully going to be right. Of course, our luck Wisconsin's going to end up winning it or something like that. But I guess, okay, so when it comes down to that then, so it means you got Ohio State and Nebraska. Who do you have winning the Big Ten overall? The, it pains me, but the, and I'm saying that with a capital T. I'm not, I'm in a lowercase T. I'm not even giving you. you the capital T because, gosh, I can't stand Ohio State. What? But lowercase T, the Ohio State Buckeyes. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you addressed them as the Ohio State Buckeyes because a lot of people get that wrong and they just say Ohio State and it's not Ohio. It's the Ohio State people. But I'm right there with you. Whether it's Iowa or Nebraska, the Ohio State is going to win the Big Ten again. And let's start right there. J.K. Dobbins. Obviously, I'm 
I'm trying to take my scarlet and gray glasses off and, and say that he, I don't think that he is up there with Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne, and, and DeAndre Swift. I, I think he is just a step, and not a big step, but a step below those guys. What are your thoughts on Dobbins as a Debbie and Dynasty prospect? All right, Matt. So we're going to have a little disagreement here because I am not as high on J.K. Dobbins as you, and I'm not as high on J.K. Dobbins as some others. I'm not low on J.K. either. He is the first person because I tier rank, I tier my prospects, and then I rank them inside the tiers. Okay. So J.K. Dobbins is number the number one tier two running back that I have, and I'm very much open to moving him up into tier one this year. I believe that he does everything above average. He does everything above average. He runs above average. He's got above average speed. He's got above average contact balance. He's got above average agility and receiving ability. But I don't see him do anything at an elite level. I see him. I don't see him do anything elite. And that's my. That is why I have him where where I have him. The other guys that I have are ranked above him even though they may not have the entire complete package, because I don't think any of these running backs have the complete package. Each of them do something at an elite level. And I just don't see that from JK Dobbins and his freshman season. I was really excited about him. And then as a sophomore, and I know Mike Weber was there, but that, I mean, Mike Weber, he, he couldn't, and maybe that's, maybe that's the Ohio state system where they use multiple running backs and, you know, it just was Weber was hot or whatever it may be. But I think a lot of people tend to close their eyes and think that it's Ezekiel Elliott back there, and he's not Zeke. Yeah. And it just concerns me that his yards per carry dropped a full yard from his freshman season to a sophomore season. I just – I think he, he's got room to grow for me. So I'd be interested to hear why you're so high on him. Uh, it, may, it may sound weird, but I think it's because of what you just said and that I – I don't disagree with you that he is, he's not elite in any one thing, but I think he is above average in everything. And I think that makes him one of the most complete all around backs because, in my opinion, he can do it all. He is good in the receiving game, he is a good rusher. He's actually a very good pass blocker, which I think a lot of people overlook when it comes to running backs. So when he gets drafted on an NFL team, much like Zeke, now I don't want to compare him to Zeke in the overall game, but Zeke. He is on the field all the time for the Dallas Cowboys, not just because of what he can do rushing and receiving, but because he's also such a good and willing pass blocker that the Cowboys know Dak Prescott is not going to get killed out there with Zeke there. Dobbins is a good pass blocker as well. I do think that the Weber thing and the system has something to do with Dobbins' struggles in his sophomore year. I'm interested to see what happens with him this year, and this is the year that I think is going to either make or break him for for a lot of analysts. I'm worried about Master Teague being there, obviously, and then possibly splitting, because I don't know what Ryan Day is going to do, and and I'm interested to see what he does with that offense, but I really think it was, was a lot more Urban Meyer and the way he runs his offense is what hurt Dobbins this past year because that freshman year that you were talking about, it was him. Weber was hurt, and, and we all saw the... I think what Dobbins could be if he's the unquestioned one. So I don't want to say that I'm, I'm sold on him as like a top prospect. I do have him at five, and, and that's right there with Eno Benjamin. I do have him at the end of my tier one. So it's not like I sit there and say he's he's right there with, with DeAndre Swift and those guys. He is a, 
a step back from them, but I do have him at the end of my Tier 1. My Tier 1 ends with him and Eno Benjamin. I have them almost in a virtual tie. Um, Eno Benjamin, I give the slight edge based on, on his production for two years compared to Dobbins, really just one in his freshman season. That makes sense. That's fair. That's that's fair. All right, so let's talk about a running back prospect that is considered right up there as, as the two. He's my two. I'm interested to hear where you have him, and that's Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin. Uh, gets a lot of comparisons, obviously, to Melvin Gordon based on their offense, uh, the obviously the same college team. I think he gets knocked a little too much for how good that offensive line is because while that offense does block a lot of good holes, it's what he does after the ball that makes him, at least in my, or after the ball, after he gets through that hole, that makes him such a, a good prospect to me. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on him. Are you someone who, who really likes Jonathan Taylor? Or do you think he's more a product of that Wisconsin offense? Love Jonathan Taylor. My running back two in the 2020 class, my Debbie RB2. He is the best pure runner in college football. I think he's just the best pure runner in the in in, in Debbie in Debbie Dynasty in college football. Not saying he does everything well because he does lack that receiving prowess so far. I mean, just as inadequate as Travis Etienne has looked catching the ball, Jonathan Taylor's right there with him. But running the ball, what he can do, and at first I thought he was a product of the Wisconsin offensive line but I've really really studied what he can do he has elite elite vision he's got more than enough uh, burst and adequate speed I mean this guy was a track star in high school a lot of people look at him and don't think that he's a blazer Jonathan Taylor is going to run and he's going to run very very fast at 220 pounds he's physical he's got excellent balance his vision is outstanding his his the things that he can do behind the line of scrimmage, um, you know, when those holes aren't there, which did not happen often because their offensive line was literally like the best in college football. But Jonathan Taylor made that line look good as well because there were things that he did at the second level that the line absolutely had no credit for. Um, you know, my issue with him is receiving and fumbles. Twelve fumbles in two years. He's got to clean that up. He can't be putting the ball on the ground. And I and there were some games that I watched where. It wasn't even like he was just getting blasted, you know. He just, like, fumbled the ball. And you'll see in studying him, defenders knew it. And when they tackled him, they were, like, aggressively stripping the ball, like trying to rip it out of his hands every time he had the ball. But my – and, God, this is the third concern is his sheer volume. I mean, he has more carries on his career right now than DeAndre Swift and Travis Etienne combined. That's a problem. You know, that's a problem and he's going to get the ball a whole bunch this season. But when I'm when I'm thinking about running backs in particular for Dynasty, I really I really only care about their first contract. If I get anything after year four or year five, if they're first round pick, that's icing on the that's icing on the cake. That's gravy on top, you know, but you've got to look at it in in, in windows and my subscribe to the notion you get good players, you worry about how long you'll have them after the fact. So I'm a very, very, very big Jonathan Taylor fan. All right, let's talk about the one quarterback I have on this list in the Big Ten, and that's Nate Stanley at Iowa. I mentioned earlier I think he's going to be the reason why uh, Iowa wins uh, the Big Ten. No, Big Ten West, I'm sorry. What are your thoughts on Stanley? Do you like him? No. Uh, any thoughts on him? 
Yeah, I, I, I like Stanley a lot. I, I have not scouted him extensively either, but I did do some research on him uh, on, on one of my quarterback tier shows, and I think he does have the tools and the skill set. And what's more important is NFL evaluators do. I, I saw some people say that if he came out this past season, he would have pushed for, you know, if not the end of the first, the second round pick. And anytime you're getting that sort of praise as a quarterback, you have to take notice in Dynasty. So I'd be interested to hear what you think about Stanley because I, I am not as in-depth and well-versed uh, with, with Stanley as maybe you are. All right, so, I mean, from what I what I gathered in watching uh, some of the tape on him, exactly what you talked about, he, he is big-bodied NFL prototype quarterback. There are a lot of NFL scouts that have said that they liked what they saw out of him. Uh, I, I like his – it seems like he does a really good job of recognizing defenses, taking what's given. His pocket mobility is outstanding. I, I love the way he moves around in the pocket, steps up, can deliver the ball to all three parts of the field. My, my biggest concern is, is when he gets outside the pocket, he, he's, not gonna, he's not mobile. He's not running away from anybody, pretty much any defenders he's not getting away from. Uh, and – his numbers uh, toward the end of the season, I think, struggled a little bit, and he does not do a good job from what I saw in uh, putting up passing numbers or working sideline throws. Like he he does a he overthrows them a lot or, or tends to throw some interceptions. So that's my biggest fear with him. That's not something that he can't improve on this year. Uh, he's been really just a two year starter, sophomore and, and junior year. Just played in those five games his freshman year, but has improved in my opinion, improved immensely from that sophomore year to junior year, and I think this is a big year for him to step up. However, I am a little worried about him losing both Fant and Hawkinson, uh, obviously, to the to the draft this past year. Those are two big targets that he's not going to have anymore on that offense. All right, so let's jump into some of the wide receiver talk here before we move on to the last conference in the SEC. And I'm going to hit two Michigan guys here real quick. I know Justin Shorter is a guy that you've talked about before, people needing to watch it, a guy who who suffered with some injuries and we haven't gotten to see quite yet. And then obviously Donovan Peoples-Jones as well. What are your thoughts on those guys? Justin Shorter, I mean, I think this season he's got an opportunity to show why he was the number one wide receiver in the recruiting class last year. Six foot four, two hundred twenty something pounds. I mean, he is just a he's a man child out there who's athletic as all get out. And in high school, he played in a freaking wing T offense, so he didn't really get to show a whole bunch as a receiver. But man, oh man, can he ball! And he showed that throughout the I'm not going to say the pre draft process, but the pre uh, collegiate process with all those elite 11 passing camps, the opening finals. So I'm really big on Justin Shorter. I, I, I like him. And then DPJ Donovan Peoples Jones. Is that who you asked me about? I, I just yeah. got on my shorter camp. Uh, rant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the other guy. Yeah, Peoples Jones. I, you know, it's, it's interesting, Matt, because I wasn't like super high on him. And I had uh, Kyle Matthew on on my last uh, show on the, the DDP, yeah. and he said that he's a sleeper for to be a first-round dynasty pick next year in 2020. And I was like, what the heck is he talking about? No way. <laughs> and then I looked at Matt Miller's uh, big board, his top 32, and there goes Donovan Peoples-Jones at like 25. And I was like, Whoa, wait a minute. Let me go back and check this kid out. But Talented, talented wide receiver. Big, fast, athletic is all outdoors. I think he's going to test well at the combine. I just, Harbaugh is just so, you just, 
you don't know what you're going to get out of a Michigan offense. Like, they want to run the ball, but then they want to throw the ball. But then Shea Patterson is so erratic throwing the ball. Is he going to – and then they've got Nico Collins, and and, and then you got Donovan Peoples-Jones and Zach Charbonne. I just don't know what <laughs> – I, I, I just – I don't – I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't dislike Peoples Jones. I don't love him. I'm just sort of neutral on him at this point in time. What about you? I know you watch Michigan a lot more and a lot closer than I do. So, what do you think? Well, I honestly tend to avoid Michigan games at all possible because I just think they're a crappy team <laughs> altogether. Um, but I, I'm not as high on him as Kyle. But I have seen a lot of people talking about him. I'll, I'll be honest; he's another guy I have not had. I've I've seen. I've done more looking at stuff with Justin Shorter just based on our last conversation than I have Donovan People Jones, but I, I won't lie, I did listen. I listened to every episode that you put out. And so I heard Kyle say that stuff. So I did the same thing. I've gone and I've looked and he is on my short list. I've got about four guys that I'm looking at right now. Uh, as I said, I was work- I'm working on my wide receiver article. From what I've seen, I've liked, but I just don't know if I can put him in my top 12. I, there's so many wide receivers. Two of them we're about to talk about right now. One of them I think is getting extremely underrated in Tyler Johnson. Uh, but there's just so many wide receivers in the college game right now. I just don't know if I can put Donovan Peoples-Jones that high. And, and maybe that's just me. Maybe I haven't seen enough tape on him just yet. Uh, but for me, I think he falls in that, in that low-end tier 2, maybe high-end tier 3 for me right now. Got you, got you. All right, so Tyler Johnson, he was I just mentioned him. He's a guy that I love from Minnesota. He's I think an absolutely amazing wide receiver prospect. Yet a lot of people um I I feel like I don't want to say they compare him to Colin Johnson, but I, I see a lot of talk on him like I do Colin Johnson and that they just don't believe in him because he's a big bodied wide receiver. What are your thoughts on Tyler Johnson? I am a Tyler Johnson fan. He is the best route runner in the 2020 class. Probably the the one of the best route runners in college football, period. I am a Tyler Johnson fan. He is a tier one wide receiver prospect for me. Any wide receiver who has a 50% dominator rating. Understand what that means. That means that the total percentage of offensive yards and touchdowns that this guy had from the receiving position, over 50% of it went to Tyler Johnson. Absolutely unstoppable with another talented wide receiver on the other side of him in Rashad Bateman. But but Johnson is uh man, he's good. He he's just he's got reliable hands. He's not a blazer. There was one play, I believe it was versus Iowa, where he like pulled away in the open field and got caught. And I was like, come on, Tyler, you gotta you gotta get in the end zone. But I think he, because he's a senior, and a lot of people kind of knock prospects for staying in into their senior year, yeah. but I think there's something to be said about him playing and learning the nuances of the game and learning those small subtleties. I believe that he could walk into an NFL roster as a rookie and be, let's just say a wide receiver. I'm not even going to go, I'm not going to go high end. He's a wide receiver three day one with high end wide receiver two upside because he's just so refined, six foot two, two hundred pounds. He's got the size, he's got the strength, he's got the hands, and he knows how to play the receiver position. I am a Tyler Johnson fan, tier one wide receiver for me. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. I love him. Seventy eight catches last year for one thousand one hundred sixty nine yards and twelve touchdowns. Dude was amazing. 
And let's talk about possibly the best wide receiver in the Big Ten. And and I'm like I said earlier, it, no, I, you could put him in the argument being right up there with Jalen Rager and and Jerry Judy as the best wide receiver in college football right now. And that is Ron Dale Moore. I watched him destroy the Ohio State Buckeyes last year in that embarrassment against Purdue. What are your thoughts on Rondell Moore and just, I mean, rushing, receiving, he can do it all. Tell us why he is one of the best college prospects in the game. Call it hot take, call it whatever you want. End of 2019, Rondell Moore, Debbie, wide receiver, one, period. He's that good. He's that that good. 114 receptions as a true freshman, over 22 all-purpose yards, won the Paul Horning Award as a true freshman as the nation's most versatile player, and the last three offensive players to win that award, Christian McCaffrey, Odell Beckham Jr., and Saquon Barkley. That's the type of rarefied air that this kid is in. Over 1,200 receiving yards, did it on the backfield, did it in the kick return game. What else do you want me to say? Yes, he's small. He's short, five foot nine, but he's not a small kid whatsoever. He's thickly compact built, squats 600 pounds, he reminds me of a a Steve Smith on steroids. That's the type of player that I see Rondell Moore in. And I do not like drafting in Debbie drafts. I do not like investing high draft capital on guys who are two, three years out. I have no problem selecting Rondell Moore in the first round. I want him. I believe I got him in our league. I want yeah. him everywhere I can get him. I, I think he is a... As much as I like Jalen Rager, as much as I like Tyler Johnson, as much as I like Jerry Judy, I think Rondell Moore is like transcendent type talent at the next level. His skill set just fits so well with what the NFL does today. He's contact. I mean, and and Matt, I know you'll speak to it. If you want to watch a game where you just see somebody completely take over and destroy a team, <laughs> watch Rondell Moore versus Ohio State. And you knew I was going there. Yep. But what he was doing versus that team, it was insane, man. I mean, that was like his coming out party. Oh, yeah. He's that good. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched it obviously live firsthand. There was things being broken all around my house. And then just going back again and watching it this summer – Gave me a lot of respect. I mean, I, I hate to put it this way because I, I am in a very, very emotional person for anybody who, who knows me. Um, you know, when Baker Mayfield planted that flag on Ohio State's field a couple years ago, I was like, this guy sucks. He, he's horrible. He's nothing. He's not going to do anything in the NFL. And then I started watching him over the summer. I was like, God, please, Browns draft him. Please, please draft this kid because he's going to be amazing. <laughs> and, and I felt the same way about Rondell Moore when I watched him just destroy the Buckeyes last year. And then I went back and watched him, and I'm just like, oh, my God, this guy is – he is ridiculous. Ridiculous, and I, and I agree with you. One of Steve Smith was going to be the comparison I was going to make as well. I think he's faster, and he is just completely well built. I know he looks small, but man, when you see him breaking some of the tackles that he breaks as well, too, you can tell this kid is put together. He is phenomenal, and I would almost guarantee you, if you had never, if you had not listened to us at all, if you not hear Ray say that he was a true freshman, if you were to watch him out there and play, you would think he was a junior or sophomore getting ready to come out and enter the NFL. That's how good he looks. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I, goes back to your take earlier about Jerry Judy. I just think maybe it is what you were saying, and, and everybody gets to watch them because their their big name program in Alabama, Purdue, is is not really on a lot of people's radar unless you're a Purdue fan. Uh, so you're watching Jerry Judy every week, but if you go and watch a guy like Rondell Moore, 
Jalen Rager and CeeDee Lamb, I can almost guarantee you those guys are, are not even uh, a full step behind Jerry Judy right now. I think going in this season, they're all right there, and Rondell Moore being the closest, in my opinion. All right, last conference before we get out of here, the SEC. So in the SEC East, the Georgia Bulldogs, Kentucky Wildcats, Florida Gators, South Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt, and Tennessee. I'm assuming it's Georgia for you easily in the, in the SEC East. Yeah. Okay. In yeah, the West, it's Georgia. It's Georgia. In the West, we got Bama, uh, Texas A&M, LSU, Mississippi State, Auburn, Ole Miss, and Arkansas. Who do you have winning the West? Alabama winning easy, maybe a little bit of trouble. What you got? Man, I'm going to say this. And when we tried to do the show a couple of weeks ago, it was Alabama easy. Yeah. I think LSU wins the West. I think the loss of Dylan Moses is going to cripple them. I think that is a, a... that is an enormous, enormous loss for Alabama. Yeah. I think LSU, God, this division is so, so good. I mean, I think LSU wins the West. I think Joe Burrow takes a step up. They can, And they're going to pound Alabama down their throats. I think LSU, man, yeah, I, I'm going LSU. I'm going to upset. Hey, um, no, I'm right there with you. So, when that happened, I was um. That's when my thoughts changed as well because Nick Saban even came out. I want to say it was a couple weeks ago. He was doing some of his like preseason talk, and he even talked about that linebacker for him was his weakest position on his entire football field. And then, yep, they lose him. I'm telling you, man. I'm. I feel. I feel like I'm being an idiot saying this, but I am a little worried for Alabama. And I feel like Alabama, you know, for college football is what the Patriots are to the NFL. You never bet against them. But, I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised if the Aggies are right there with them as well. I don't think the Aggies are a bad team as well. I don't see them winning the West, but I can see them putting up a fight with them as well. I'm taking LSU. Maybe I'm putting too much on Joe Burrow in this defense, but I like what I saw out of them last year. Obviously didn't have a great year. Joe Burrow, first year really in that system. You know, he was uh, considered a fairly decent prospect at the time when he joined Ohio State and transferred out. I'm going to give him the shot. I'm, I'm sticking with him as well. I like LSU. I like that call. So you got LSU and Georgia. Who do you have winning the SEC altogether? I think the Georgia Bulldogs, Kirby Smart, they finally get it done. They pull it off this year. They should, they should have done it the past couple of years. But they yeah. finally pull it off, and they get it done this season. All right, so before we talk about any playoff stuff and everything and get out of here, let's talk about some of the top prospects. And, I mean, they're all almost on two teams, so we can kind of just quickly fly through these guys. We'll start with Alabama side. Obviously, you have Tua, Najee Harris, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddell. Just kind of give me your thoughts on those four guys, the guys that are going to power this Alabama offense. Yeah, Jerry Judy, first-round NFL pick. He's going to be a first-round dynasty pick in rookie drafts next year. The top wide receiver or top two or top three, however you want to slice it. He's a he's an absolute stud. I mean, he's going to he's going to just dominate this season with Tua. So is Henry Ruggs. I think Henry Ruggs is going to be a better NFL player than he is a college player. The problem is they've got four they've got four wide receivers who are going to be drafted uh, to the NFL. Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddell, Henry Ruggs, and Jerry Judy. There are just so many doggone people for Tua to throw the ball to. And Tua is very good at surveying the field and spreading the ball around. So I, I just don't think Ruggs is going to have the volume. But any wide receiver who could potentially run a 4 240 yard dash 
he's going to be drafted high. He's probably the closest thing athletically, and he's even more refined than this player coming out of college, than his closest thing that we have to Tyreek Hill that we've seen. I know we tried to comp McCole Hardman or Andy Isabella to Tyreek Hill, but it's really like if you're looking for that, it's Henry Ruggs. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to watch him. Jalen Waddle is a stud, and we don't have Devonta Smith on the show sheet, but he's he's a really good wide receiver prospect as well. Najee Harris, I think he's got to show us a little something this year. He's got all the talent in the world. He was like the number two overall player in his recruiting class with Trey Sanders, the talented incoming freshman, going down for the season with that foot injury. It's going to be the Najee Harris and Brian Robinson show. So excited to see what Najee can do. He's a six foot, what, two, six, three, 230 pounds. It's like another Derrick Henry, but he seems to be a little more athletic than Derrick Henry. And then Tua Tungvaloa, what's there to say? He's going to be probably the first pick in the NFL draft next year or the first quarterback taken at least. Uh, Left-handed stud, super accurate. He's got more than requisite arm strength. He's got very good mobility. Just got to stay healthy. He's nicked up a little bit last season. So that's that's really, I mean, and then it's just Alabama, dude. Oh, yeah. All right, so going to Georgia's side, they have the next best two in Jake Fromm and DeAndre Swift. Uh, obviously, Swift, the one the one one at RB for a lot of Debbie and Dynasty players. Uh, get your quick thoughts on him, and then what are your thoughts on Fromm? Because I've actually kind of stepped back a little bit from Fromm after watching more tape on him this summer. So what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I, I, think, I think Fromm is like a – lesser athletic Alex Smith. And I'm talking about like early Alex Smith, not Tyreek Hill, Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes on his behind uh, Alex Smith. I think he's just safe. I think he's got a, a, I'm not even going to say a high floor. I think he has a floor and a low ceiling. He's just, he's, he's good. He's not great. He's not going to make a lot of mistakes. He's not going to, he's not, he's not going to win you games at quarterback. You know, he's not, I don't think he'll lose them for you, but he's not going to win them. And We've seen that throughout his career, and I just think he's just—I think he's a—I think he's a, a fine. I just think he's a quarterback. I just think he's a fine, decent quarterback, but nobody that I really—I don't really want him on my roster. He's not going to go out there and drop, you know, four hundred and thirty passing yards and five TDs like you can get. Hell, you can get that upside from Jared Goff in a game. You know what I mean? You can get that upside. There's games where Dak Prescott just goes absolutely bonkers. I just don't see that happening from Jake Fromm. I think he's just a safe. He's going to go to the NFL. He's going to give you 220-something passing yards a game. You know, won't throw any interceptions. and He'll throw one touchdown. And is that what you really want out of your quarterback? So I'll say this, though. I'll give him some. I'll give him a little bit of, of wiggle room. This season, he's going to have to do more than he ever has from a quarterback position because they are depleted from pass catchers. I mean, they're starting – Projected number one wide receiver, J.J. Holloman, was kicked off the team this summer. They lost uh, Isaac Nott of the tight end. McCole Hardman's gone. They lost a couple other receivers. So this is going to be, I mean, we're going to see what he's got this season. We're going to see what Jake Fromm has this season, but not really, not really a fan of, of Jake Fromm. All right, and uh, any thoughts on DeAndre Swift? Just eat nice and easy 1-1 one, one at running back, no concerns? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, one one. Uh, the, the, the concern just nicked up a little bit. He's just banged up a little bit. But the Kirby Smart has already come out and said he's not going to be a workhorse back, which is fine for me. Save his legs, save his body. He doesn't need to do anything else. 
dynamic in the in the receiving game, dynamic dynamic out of the backfield. He's got the nastiest dead leg in college football. I like DeAndre Swift. He's he's one hundred and one running back for me. All right, last two prospects. Uh, you have any thoughts on Brian Edwards out of South Carolina? He's had three pretty good years, uh, getting better every single year. Last year, fifty five catches for eight hundred and forty six yards, seven touchdowns, six three two fifteen. Yeah, like Edwards, and he had a 17, yeah, 17.9 breakout age, so he did it like super, super young. So it shows that he's got that talent. He's got the requisite size. Debo Samuel is gone, so he will be the guy there. Again, some people, oh, he's a senior, so I've got to knock him down. I'm not going to knock him down. I think Brian Edwards is a very good wide receiver, and he's one of those guys, man. He can come in the end. He's one of those guys, Matt, that I think is just going to sort of slide under the radar. He's not going to have all this fanfare and hype as a Henry Ruggs who's going to run fast or Jalen Rager or Jerry Judy. And then once the NFL season starts, you know, in preseason, he's just out there just balling, catching balls, scoring touchdowns. And we're like, holy crap, why didn't we have Brian Edwards higher? I think he's one of those guys. And uh, Keyshawn Vaughn is my guy. Our guy, Garrett Price, really put me on to Keyshawn Vaughn. But, you know, older running back prospect, but again, not worried about that. Over 1,200 yards in the SEC last year in his first season with Vanderbilt, transferred from Illinois. I'm a fan of Vaughn. He's explosive. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's a powerful runner. I, I think he could sneak up there. You know, in the NFL draft, and be a high second, third round pick. And if you've got that kind of draft capital, he's going to get an opportunity. So I'm a big fan of Keyshawn Vaughn. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you brought him up right there at the end. I was going to say the same thing as uh, you were saying about Brian Edwards. I think he's a guy that could could sneak under the radar. He's he's someone that I, outside of you and Garrett Price, I've not seen a lot of people talking about him, and he's definitely a very intriguing prospect. All right, so last couple questions before we get you out of here. I really Just really quick, your thoughts on would you like to see an eight-team college football playoff, and do you think that happens when the current contract with all this, uh, all these bowl games and everything goes up in a couple years? Yes, I would like that. Yes, I believe it's destined to happen, and more so than our viewing pleasure, it's money, baby. Yes. It's college oh, yeah. football, and college football is a big business. It's going to happen. So, do, real quick, I said that was going to be the last one, but I want to ask one follow-up question to that thing because I wasn't sure how you were going to ask it or answer it. Um, is eight the perfect number for you, or do you think it should expand more than that? I think eight is fine. You know, okay. we'll get eight, and then three years from now, we'll be screaming for 12, and then yeah. we'll be screaming for 16. I really believe that Division Two has the best model. I think they have the the the, the, the way the D2 playoffs work is beautiful. And I think if, if the, if FBS modeled their playoff system like D2, it'd be crazy. I mean, it's almost like March madness in division two. So I think they have the best playoff model. I think eight is good for now, but it, it'd just keep going up. We'll be screaming for 16 and then it'd be 32. And next thing you know, it'd be freaking a field of 64 teams playing for a college football playoff. Yeah. All right, so to run it over again real quick, we both have Clemson winning the ACC. You have uh, Utah winning the Pac-12. I have Oregon. We both have Texas winning the Big 12. Both have Ohio State. Or sorry, I see I even messed it up there. That's on me right there. The Ohio State winning the Big 10. And we both have Georgia winning the SEC. What four teams make it into the playoffs for you this year? So here's the thing. There's Power 5. But then there's really like power four, right? So the SEC champ is in. The Big 12 champ is in. 
The well, okay, the SEC champ is in, so Georgia's in. Yeah. The Big Ten champ is in, so Ohio State, the Ohio State, they're in. Clemson is in. The ACC champ is in, so that leaves. Are you going to take the Big Twelve champion or the Pac Twelve champion? And unless you've got that USC, that old Reggie Bush USC following, yeah. I don't care how good Utah or Oregon are, they're not getting in over Oklahoma or Texas. It will be the Big 12 champs. So it's going to be Texas, Georgia, the Ohio State, and Clemson, the Final Four in the playoffs. All right. So I'm going to go Clemson, the Ohio State. No, Georgia will probably definitely go above Ohio State just based on their their schedule. So Georgia, the Ohio State, and then I'm going to take Oregon. I do think Texas wins the Big 12, but I think it's a repeat of what happened last year. And I think Oklahoma and Texas end up beating each other or losing somewhere playing again. They both go in with one loss or into the national or into the Big 12 championship game. I apologize. And Texas wins that winning the Big 12 championship, but Oregon goes undefeated, defeating Utah in their Big 12 and the Pac-12 championship and that's what gets them in over Texas. I could be wrong. Uh, obviously if Texas goes undefeated, I agree with you 100% they're going to end up in there. So then that would put for I would assume that means Clemson and Texas for you, and then Georgia, Ohio State. Who wins those games, and who ends up in the national championship? Clemson beats Texas to go back to the national championship, and that Georgia defense is a little too much for Ryan Day in his first yeah. season and Justin Fields there. It's Clemson-Georgia national championship, and Dabo Sweeney does it again. Ooh, Clemson Tigers okay. wins the national championship. So I'm going to go Clemson beating Oregon, and then I think Justin Fields exacts his revenge on Jake Fromm, Ah. kicking him out of Georgia, and the Ohio State Buckeyes make it, and then get absolutely destroyed by Clemson like they did a couple years ago, (laughs) which is going to be embarrassing because that's happened just way too many times on that national championship stage against Florida and uh was it LSU was the other one I'm pretty sure I don't know I can't I still have nightmares about those games but man thank you thank you so much for jumping on and doing this with me I, I love college football and I love talking to people who are who are passionate about it you are one of if not the best follow on Twitter when it comes to Debbie in college and I truly mean that I'm not just trying to to prop you up because you came on the podcast man I, I love listening to your podcast I talked about it in the intro I'll say it again destination Debbie if you guys want to know anything college football you want to get all kinds of great knowledge he, he brings on great guests like Kyle Matthew who we've had on here before as well uh, I mean you do a great job with that podcast you, you've already shot up the ranks we were talking about it in DMs the other day uh, how quickly your podcast has risen up, man. I'm, I, I can't explain how much I, I in, in all honesty, look up to the way that you handle your business and everything on Twitter and your podcast. It's amazing. So thank you so much for jumping on uh, here with me today and talking some college football. And I, I hope we can talk again before the end of the season. Absolutely. Anytime you guys want me on, I enjoy the work you do. Uh, love your show. You and Dennis do a fantastic job. Love what you're doing at Dynasty Nerds. Nothing but love for those guys. So anytime you want me on, you let me know and I'm here, bud. All right, man. I appreciate it. Have a great night. And, and if you're going to get on and watch the rest of the college games, man, enjoy the weekend and we'll talk again soon. Yes, sir. Thank you, Matt. Prepare for glory. I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came out the wall wide ready. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown.
Who can make a play? I can. Who can make a play? Yeah.